for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Jenna Lyons, the founder of Love Scene. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you for having me. Hi, Priya. Hi, Jenna. It's so good to see you again. Um, Jenna, I I think our listeners probably don't need an introduction to who you are because, you know, <laughs> your your career at um, J. Crew and, and so much of what you've done in the last, you know, 20 years in fashion. But for those out there who need a little motivation today, tell us a little bit about how you got started in fashion and, and beauty and, and lifestyle. Oh, sure. I mean, I think it was kind of by accident. I, um, you know, I was super tall when I was little and, um, at se- in seventh grade, I was six feet tall and that was hard, especially with the boys and nothing fit me. There was no like J brand jeans back then. There was no, nobody making tall clothes for young girls. It just didn't exist. And so I was constantly buying like really big clothes. And I thought that I was like a size 14 because those are the pants that were long enough for me. I just didn't even understand. And I took a home ec class and I made myself a skirt and the teacher showed me how to measure myself. And I made a bias full length watermelon skirt. And I walked into school and Darlene Patterson, who was like the most popular girl in class who sat next to me in social studies, looked over at me and said, where did you get that skirt? So cute. And I was like, what? It was the first time anyone had given me positive feedback about the way I looked. And, you know, I had a genetic disorder, so I had my teeth were conicular. I had bald spots in my head. I had scars on my, like, I had a lot of stuff going on that did not make me feel good about my visual presence. So to have someone give me positive feedback about the way I looked was so altering and really, like, really emotionally, like, powerful. And so I also had made that thing, which was sort of the combination of two things, was, like, really... I don't know. I enjoyed the process and I felt really proud at the end. And so, yeah, I kind of, I got a subscription to Vogue that Christmas and my grandmother gave me a sewing machine and like, that was it. I was hooked. So Jenna, you also went to fashion school before starting at J. Crew. What was that like? I did. I had, I had gone to Parsons. This was before Project Runway, before anyone knew about Parsons. My art teacher in seventh grade also, um, Mrs. Webster had shown me a book about Antonio Lopez called Antonio's Girls. And I was like obsessed with, you know, I'd never seen women that were, that looked different. Like the, you know, I mean, the way that he portrayed women, he was in love with like Grace Jones and Tina Chow and Jerry Hall. And all I had ever seen of ideal beauty was, you know, blonde hair, big boobs, tan, because I grew up in California and I, I sort of understood one idea of beauty. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, there is a world of beauty out there. And, you know, the way that they wore clothes and just the images of them and how bold and, you know, it was just so exciting to me. And so, yeah, I went to Parsons and that was my puppy. And <laughs> uh, it was an amazing experience. I met, you know, Donna Karen and Calvin Klein and Oscar de la Renta. And it was just it's interesting that you say like how you didn't see yourself visually um, in popular culture and fashion, and then you landed at one of these very all-American retailers like J. Crew, which is known back then, I think, like for maybe not the big boobs, but the you know very preppy blonde um, proposition. So I'm wondering, you know, when you were thinking about taking that job, and then obviously growing in that job to where you were at the end of it. Um, how did you decide to kind of like funk it up a little bit? I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I loved about New York was that there were so many different types of beauty here. Like I remember the very first time I was walking down the street in New York and 
a man whistled at me. And I just didn't get that kind of attention in California. And what I realized was that that there are just other ideals out there. People like all different kinds of things. And I like became really attached to this idea of like pushing the boundaries of what people's ideals were. And I got, I was excited about being able to do that. I didn't get to do that until I was, you know, had been at the company for 15, 20 years because I was obviously just an assistant the first day I walked in the door. But I also had this deep desire to fit in as well. And those two things were sat in real opposition. You know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to look like all the girls in my high school, but I didn't. And then when I got here, I had spent so much time trying to fit in that I had sort of lost and didn't really know who I was or what I thought was beautiful. So I had to do a lot of exploration while sitting in this very preppy, you know, pretty waspy environment. It was really, it was hard. It was a real challenge. It took me years to kind of be able to balance my own perspective and aesthetic and what I thought we could share with the world versus what I knew the company, you know, where the roots were and, and, and what was the right thing, you know, I mean, we had, you know, we didn't have a lot of representation of, in, in general, you know, and not just of different ethnicities, but we didn't have a lot of representation in terms of age variety and we didn't have a lot of, and size. And, you know, that took a really long time to, to kind of put in everyone's mind. And I think, you know, it was, I was thrilled to be able to have, you know, an opportunity to do some of that and to stretch the boundaries a little bit, but, and then I left. <laughs> so Jenna, you know, one of the things that you said to us right now is like how transformative fashion was, you know, when you were at school with Antonio Lopez and then even at your time at J. Crew, I would argue now that's what we're seeing so much in beauty, you know, this conversation of inclusivity and diversity. And I mean, it is the loudest thing we're hearing in beauty today. So was that what kind of maybe attracted you to become a founder in this world? I mean, I think, well, it's so layered. I, I think, you know, a couple of things. One is I knew that, you know, having felt not seen when I was young and feeling left out of a lot of things or just not feeling beautiful, I realized how powerful it is to feel, you know, attractive. It's really, it's, it is transformative. It's like, it can really make you, you know, it, it can make you happy, like just simply happy. And I wanted to do something where I knew that I could, you know, share my view and make everyone feel included and seen. And so when we were originally starting the brand, it was important to like, you know, we hired at the very beginning, we hired 21 different women and men. Um, you know, seeing men in the beauty space is so incredible these days. I love that that's changed. You know, I came to New York and it was the first time I'd met a gay person, <laughs> you know, that I didn't know anyone who was gay. And like, I saw boys wearing makeup. I was like, that's kind of amazing. And, you know, not just like Robert Smith, uh, you know, from The Cure or David Bowie, but like just regular guys on a regular day wearing makeup. I was like, okay, this is kind of amazing. And so I think being able to really share that and having, um, you know, to be able to do that myself and like on my own terms was so exciting. Um, you know, the reason I started it wasn't necessarily about, um, you know, diversity was really about my own <laughs> lack of eyelashes, but, um, you know, I was thrilled to be able to do something that felt really inclusive. And it's been, it's been really um, remarkable, in, not just in terms of the way that we were able to show the brand, but even in some of the marketing. I, I know this is going to sound surprising, but we just had an email conversation yesterday and looking back at some of the emails that we'd sent out and we sent out one that was literally just like, people we admire, people that are, things that are interesting and sort of, it's women's, you know, when we were doing um, list stories about different women and the number of people who wrote in and purchased from that and also said like, take my inclusive money. Like literally those were words that people said. And I was like, that's kind of amazing that 
the email was not about purchasing a product. It was literally just telling a story about women that I admire and why I admire them and how women who came before are influencing younger women now today. And people like <laughs> bought more on that than the one, the email that we sent out about bestsellers. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Jenna, you mentioned at the top of the conversation, you know, you um, had a genetic disorder growing up and, you know, that informed the way that you thought about yourself and being beautiful, but it also informed this line, you know, eyelashes are a very specific segment of the beauty category. And, you know, I think we talked about this last time before it was all about going and getting your eyelashes done out of the house, spending $200 and looking maybe a little tarantula like, and this (laughs) is all about maybe bringing that idea to the home. So can you kind of explain that? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, Anyone who has, you know, something that they feel deficient in, I'm sure that's the thing that you notice in everyone else. You know, if you don't have great hair, you notice the girl with the beautiful long hair. And I think not having eyelashes, I was super attuned to other people's eyelashes. So I noticed all the women in my office coming in with, you know, as you said, eyelash extensions that literally would arrive in the room before they did. I was like, wow, where did this come from? And, you know, and on the same token, I was doing research for a beauty company just separately. And I noticed I was watching like all these Huda Beauty videos where she was putting on like seven layers of concealer and eyeliner and eyeshadow and, you know, highlight. It was just I, I was like, how many products can one person put on their face? But I loved it. And at the end, they would put on an eyelash. And I thought it was really interesting that two really opposite ends of the beauty spectrum, these these girls at J.Crew who were wearing no other makeup, and then you had like Huda Beauty candidates who were like full makeup. And there was nothing in between. Like I couldn't find anything that sort of sat in the middle. And so um, that was what really got me excited. I was like, well, I... I don't have any eyelashes, so I can't wear those really crazy ones. And I don't have any eyelashes to attach eyelash extensions. So maybe I should make some that I can wear. And in doing that and starting to talk to people and doing some research, I realized that there really wasn't anyone doing that. And so, yeah, it's been kind of amazing. Did you expect to kind of come back in the second life or maybe third life? Who knows, right? How many lives we have. But um as a beauty founder, I think everybody probably expected you to do something in fashion or launch your own line. Like, why were you so passionate about this and doing it this way? I mean, I think first, I think I had an incredible run. Um, and, you know, and honestly, I, I thought I would do fashion too. I never anticipated this really is honestly happening because, you know, and I've said this before and people don't really believe it, but like, I thought I would get calls. I thought people would say, hey, will you come and, you know, design this line? And it just didn't happen. And I think the industry is changing. I mean, I think, you know, I think starting an eyelash company had really nothing to do with other than the fact that I had, I didn't have a job and I wasn't getting phone calls. I thought people would call, it just didn't happen. Uh, and so I found myself like sitting on my couch daydreaming and and I had was asked to, to, to take a look at something that somebody was working on for a beauty company. And when I did that, I started to just do research and say like, okay, well, what's the landscape? Because I don't know it. And that was sort of how I stumbled upon all of these videos. And and I were sort of started connecting dots in my head. And I was like, well, maybe I could do that. And then I met somebody who I was going to be working on a business plan for another project for the television show. And I told him about this idea. And he was like, that's cool. And He's like, well, why don't we do that? And I was like, wait, really? And he was like, yeah. And so we wrote a business plan. And I know it sounds crazy. Like, it all just kind of happened. I think sometimes when things are meant to be, they are, I don't want to say easy because it hasn't been easy, but it just kind of happened. Like, everything happened naturally. It was so incredible. And and I still can't believe it. 
Jenna, you know, I think one of the things that surprised me besides the beauty piece of it is that, you know, rather than say maybe launching with a specific retailer or, you know, going into Barney's if Barney's was still around, you know, this is an elevated product or a Sephora. Um, you just, you decided to do this DTC. And I remember in our last conversation, you reminded me that J. Crew was once really its own ecosystem and it didn't soil anywhere else. And so I'm wondering about like kind of the lessons there that you had. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the one thing that you can really identify with every, if you look at what's happened with the landscape of brands, uh, brand is king. You know, everything is about brand. And it's interesting because I have a friend who um, works in the industry and they were talking about, you know, how, you know, brilliant the the messaging and sort of the marketing around the Kardashians businesses are like skims and and I've and I've talked to my friend who who has some hand in that and they develop the brand identity before they even develop the product they really decide who is this person what do we want to say what do we want the brand to look and feel like and then let's go execute on the product to make sure that it fills and and I think that's a really interesting concept that's really a reverse of what I grew up with but it really has become something that is so tantamount and it's very hard to control your message or talk to your consumer through someone else. You know, when you think about, you know, how you message, like us sending an email, I, if I'm sending an email through a Sephora or Barney's, I have no control over the messaging. I have no control over your experience with customer service. You know, we have, are launching a new brand. So much of that is learning and testing and learning. So for instance, you know, some people, struggle with putting them on and literally they will, you know, reach out to Molly, who is our customer service person. And Molly will call me and say, this person's really having a hard time and I'll make a little video or do a FaceTime chat with them. And they're like so blown away. And they're like, I can't believe you spent the time to do this. And they become a fan and then they are a disciple and that's great. And you can't do that when you are selling through a larger company. It's incredibly important. I think, especially at the outset, when you have you're starting from nothing to like really stand in who you are and tell people who you are. And then, and also figure it out yourself. I think really having an attention and being able to connect with your customers directly is so tantamount to being successful because it really gives you real time, direct feedback about what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Would you say that you knew who the customer is going to be before you launched? You know, it's funny. I had an idea and I had a dream and I had this concept and I didn't I got really nervous, especially towards the end. Somebody like literally put a a sprinkle of doubt into my head about something. So we had originally gone out and said, okay, we want to do lashes that feel very natural. And that was the goal. And at the end, someone was like, well, wait a minute. So you're not going to appeal to the girl who wants something a little bit more volume. And I was like, oh God, you're right. And I got scared. Like I literally, like we were just about to launch and we we added two new styles. And at the very end, we were just about to launch because I I had a panic of like, maybe this is a terrible idea. (laughs) And Ironically, you know, that is the number one request. Everyone calls up and says, what is your number one most natural lash? And the thing that I'm still completely amazed by is I went on the Wendy Williams show, which was so incredibly fun. And I thought, you know, she wears very big makeup, lots of eyelashes and, you know, pretty volume. And I thought that customer is going to want something a little bit more volume intense. Just figuring her, her, you know, the people that really love her are going to sort of probably identify with her and want that was complete opposite. It, it was exactly the same thing. The day that we I went on the show, all of our most natural lashes were the ones that everyone was texting and emailing and, and saying, which one's the most natural? Which So I was really shocked. So that was the goal. So it's, yeah, it's working. And we got picked up by Goop, which, you know, they bought our most natural lash, um, which is kind of interesting. You know, I think it was, 
that was the that was the goal. I can't believe it actually worked. <laughs> you told me last time we spoke that 90% of the customers that are coming to Love Scene um, are new to wearing lashes completely, correct? Yes, which I never would have expected that many people to to try something new, particularly, you know, when no one's going anywhere. <laughs> I'm thrilled. It's incredible. I like again, I was super surprised. You know, I think again that the most important thing is like, okay, well, do they come back? And how's that been so far? Well, it's I mean, we are six months old, so we definitely have repeat customers and that's been thrilling. But you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see once the world opens up and people start going out more and, you know, people are having in-person, you know, events and weddings and dates and all of those things right now. It's been a very strange time to launch a, a, a company, a, a, an idea or a concept that connects really to, you know, wanting to, you know, they do help you on a Zoom call for sure. But I think, um, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see as we grow how many repeat customers we get. And, and we're, you know, we do get people who have worn them before, but we are getting a lot more that are total newbies, which is kind of amazing. When you think about the content strategy, you know, one of the things that I really, besides the in-home mailer that I got that kind of had the, your trajectory along with like Twiggy's trajectory and fake eyelashes, um, all about them. But besides that, I really have loved, you know, the quiz capability on the site and, you know, seeing all of these different women of ages, of different ages, of different races and ethnicities and, you know, that coming through. So how are you thinking about content? Because I know that Jenna's Picks was a huge thing at J. Crew. You told me that it was one of those things that you didn't think it was going to get as big as it did. So what was your idea of content? Because I think that when people still talk about e-commerce content, the holy grail was like J. Crew in 2012. Like people are still <laughs> trying to do that now. That's great. <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, one of the, there's a couple of things that I learned that are, are, are sort of golden rules that I've carried in and are trying to really utilize. One is people see through bullshit. People are smart. They want honesty. They don't want you to like, they don't want you to tell them something that is not true. And they also don't want you to just sell to them all the time. Like, don't just be a pusher because honestly, people are not like, they just, are over it. And I think, and that was, I think what was so interesting was we, you know, we're selling with J. Crew, we had 8 million products to sell. So we had a new thing to talk about every day, but with, with lashes, we don't, we are selling the same product. So we had to really think about, okay, well, what does our content strategy look like under those auspices? Because we don't want to bombard people with like, here's another email about a lash. So we really sat down in the team and the team came up with some great ideas around like, how do we talk about like, what's happening in the world. Let's talk about, you know, we, you know, we sent an email about, you know, you know, standing behind, you know, AAPI and really what's happening in that. And that email drove sales. People responded to that because they felt seen and they were like, thank you for acknowledging and reminding me that like brands actually have, can have a voice. And I think that has been another important thing of standing up for what you believe in and really, and really being generous and, and thinking about it. We've also done emails where we're talking about other brands and people who are selling things that we admire that we think are doing really cool. And that's had such a nice effect because those other brands are actually supporting us. And I think we did a lot of that at J. Crew as well. Um, and it really creates this like community as opposed to just feeling like you're out there just trying to sell stuff. Like there is a bigger concept here. There is a bigger motivation to create a world of people who like, 
who feel bought in, who feel connected to the brand. And that makes a world of difference. You know, in beauty, the founder story seems to be so important these days. And founders across the board are on Instagram, on on lives, live streaming, doing the whole shtick. And I, I know that you were very involved in the business, but I mean, this isn't like, quote unquote, the Jenna Lyons brand. I feel like when you look at Love Scene very much on your social and all of your and your website assets, it's not you all over the place. What was that about? I mean, I think that was obviously intentional. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think, I think um, you know, I definitely am around and I'm there and I do participate, but I, I also wanted the brand to have a life of its own. And I also went through a really hard time when I left J. Crew. I was deeply connected to the brand and that was really painful. And I'm not suggesting that I'm going to leave Love Scene, but I realized that, you know, I wanted the brand to have its own identity and have, and, and also I you know, J. Crew was about style and about clothing. And this is about beauty. And I didn't want people to connect me. Like, I didn't want, you look really different than me. I wanted you to be, come into the brand and see people who look like you. And in order to do that, it couldn't be about me. I didn't, you know, I'm a 52-year-old white woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, somebody who's, you know, uh, has, who looks totally different and is younger than me may not identify with me. And so I didn't want to put myself overly attached. From a business standpoint, yes, of course. But I think from a, a branding, I wanted it to feel like everyone. It was for everyone, not just me. You know, what about when it came to the investment piece of it and obviously talking to retailers because I'm sure, you know, everyone's very excited to meet you and talk to you and think about that. But I imagine you've been really reticent kind of obviously to go into big retail except for Goop um, and that's an online site. And then also on the investment piece, you know, I, I it's not like Love Scene is talking about this round they raised and that round they raised and all of that kind of thing, which is, you know, today as much a part of marketing of new brand as, you know, sending an email newsletter. It's so interesting that you say that. And I think you're, you're probably right. I think it might be just because of the trajectory and the way that it happened. We didn't go through rounds. We have one investor who, and I have a partner who is connected to that investment firm. And, you know, we had a pretty fluid process of getting to the starting gate. You know, I... I think it's very true. I think this whole, you know, I obviously heard the news about Beauty Counter recently and congratulations to that team. Um, you know, it's it hasn't been something that I, I it hasn't been something I'd have, I've had to do. It hasn't really been a topic of conversation, honestly. Um, so, you know, it's not that I wouldn't talk about it. I just, I just haven't been asked, honestly. And because we weren't public about it, like it hasn't come up, but I've had a really like straightforward process in that regard and feel really lucky around that because... That can be very hard. Um, you know, I didn't think about it as a marketing opportunity. Maybe I should have. No, I mean, I feel like I get pitches all the time that someone raised a Series A or Series B or Series C. And, like, that's just fueling more and more press. And so I just always wonder when it comes to a founder what they think about that or if that's part of the strategy. I, I mean, listen, I haven't had, I haven't gone there yet. And I think knowing that you're saying that, maybe if I do. I will consider it part of the strategy. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I do really like the idea of, you know, I want the company to grow. I want the company to be able to do other things. I want to be able to, you know, have the team build a team and can, and can continue to nurture, um, you know, the whole ecosystem of love scene. But like, there's a million different ways that could happen. It might be through investment. It might be through selling to, you know, a bigger box. I just wanted to make sure that as we started, we had our own identity that we could control. Um, and that was sort of a launching pad. But who knows where we'll end up. So on that note, Jenna, tell me a little bit about Goop. Because I know I think we both really appreciate that curation, that lifestyle point of view. Why were they right to sell Love Scene? 
I mean, I think for a couple of reasons. One is, I think, you know, obviously there's, one of the things we talked about is that people can see through bullshit. They want, and they also want like someone to tell them. I think that's why, you know, the Janice Picks thing sort of, it sits in that same category of like someone sifting through all of the information and saying, here's what I recommend. And I think she's done an incredible job of really parsing through all of the noise. There's a ton of products out there and, and she's got, you know, real authority there because she's really done a great job of selecting things that people have then said, I would like the product. Now I'm going to go back and buy. And I think on top of that, I think she, you know, really personifies like that sort of natural beauty. She doesn't wear a ton of makeup and, you know, the idea that she might support a fake eyelash, then you probably are going to feel comfortable that it's going to look good and it's not going to be, you know, a tarantula. (laughs) And I think, you know, that, that sort of, you know, curation and authority and, and being and being told and being and trust is really so important, particularly today where there's just so much to sift through. I mean, I literally like can't, I, I mean, I can't find anything I want anytime. I mean, I, do you know that I spent like literally like four hours on first dibs over the weekend <laughs> just going through, I was on page 85 of chairs. I'm like, how, how are there so many chairs? I think, you know, having someone tell you that this is okay and that they believe in it is super powerful. We've had a great run already. It's been so exciting and successful. So I've been thrilled. How do you feel about big box retail today? You know, whether it makes sense for like, say a Sephora or an Ulta or anywhere else in the future? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've used to have a really, it's really different. I think beauty is very different than say clothing. You know, I think, um, beauty has an opportunity. You can really you can make your mark and you can stand on your own. You, you are really having a singular experience. No one has to try, like with clothing, you, you know, I mean, listen, when you get to, there's so many ways that it can get messed up and it's really sad because, you know, the clothing is an expression. So you, you build a collection, but if you're going to sell it to Barney's, Barney's may only buy a tiny little rack. So then your, your collection isn't really getting shown. And so that is a really tricky thing when you make clothing because you want someone to experience your world. You want to be able to show them how you saw pieces moving together. And so I think with beauty, you have this opportunity. You can show your whole world. You can show your image, what you are looking for. You can have all the products there. The entire line can be expressed. So there's, it's not the same, I think, sort of um, derivative in, in clothing that, I, that it is for beauty. Beauty, I think, is, stands, is more of a standalone experience. So I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I think, you know, like I said, I wanted to start and really manage the brand from a very specific point of view. But like... Listen, sure, if it happens, I wouldn't be upset. <laughs> Jenna, what about other products? I mean, I know that, you know, the Lash Tool has been like kind of the thing that's sold out repeatedly. I, I can't believe it. I'm so excited. Yeah. And that's obviously teaching someone to use something that's totally new, something that's not in their repertoire at all. So I'm wondering, like, are you thinking about, you know, extending whether it's more tools or, you know, eyeliner, or mascara? I mean, who knows, yeah. right? What are you thinking about? I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've, this has been a big question. And I think, you know, the first six months have been like testing and learning, getting, our, you know, we have sold out the tool surprisingly, and that's been really exciting and sort of now it's piqued our interest in terms of like, okay, what should our next step be? And, you know, um, we've been getting questions from customers about like, you know, well, can you make a glue liner that, com- you know, comes out with a guy on I'm like, well, those exist on the market and, you know, should we do our own? Like, there's a lot of things I think we could and can and probably will do in the future. I think my previous life has taught me that like complexity is just that it is complex and keeping your business as simple as possible, particularly in the beginning when you are growing is really helpful. And also like 
standing for something. It's much easier for me to talk more clearly and focused about lashes when you start adding all those other things than the messaging gets more more diluted. So I think for right now, I think we want to really do a really good job and get the message out and get known for something. And then as that becomes more articulated, we can maybe think about adding stuff. Jenna, on that note, you know, obviously I, I follow you on Instagram. I mean, I follow the brand on Instagram and it's very well curated and, and it's beautiful. But I'm wondering, you know, lashes on TikTok are really having a moment amongst Gen <laughs> Z. And I it know. seems to be that is like, you know, Gen Z is taking on a whole life of its own when it comes to beauty and fashion and what they expect and what they want. So I'm just wondering what you think about, you know, that age demographic and if they're buying. They, I mean, interesting enough, the, the one of the most common things we keep hearing are, oh, I'm buying these for me and my daughter. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, they're not, they're, you know, it's like going to get a manicure with your mom. Like that's sort of one of the first things you do as a beauty experience as a kid. You know, your mom takes you to get a pedicure. And I think it's interesting to hear that they are definitely buying them. We, you know, we also get a lot of user-generated content. So we see the pictures of people sending us images of, and it's, you know, I mean, we have people who are 13. We have people who are, you know, 18. I mean, it's, it's ironic. They're really engaged and they're so funny. <laughs> um, you know, I think I haven't done any TikToks and we haven't as a brand on TikToks. We were, I, from everything I understand about TikTok, and we've talked about it quite a bit, you have to really be on it all the time. We don't really have the bandwidth to do that right now. Um, but, you know, I would love to, I, I'm like, I always remember when Instagram came out and everyone's like, oh, it's a phase, it's a fad. And like, I have no idea. It'll be interesting to see what happens with TikTok, but yeah. Jenna, with Instagram specifically, you know, I remember when we talked last time, it's not like you guys have gone, you know, gone the gamut in terms of like performance marketing, right? When you think about all of these like social media channels, it's not a bunch of paid um, activations or paid ads. So, you know, that's kind of the lever that DDC brands really pulled these last couple of years. So what are you yeah. thinking about that? I mean, we're doing it in a very small way right now and doing it to what we're calling it. We're in a, a test and learn phase. So trying different things, seeing what works, seeing what checks, and then using that to inform what our next decision is. So right now we're just sort of, we have our toes dipped in the water where we haven't gone full board, full core press, but we will. Obviously, we talked about this last time too, but you know, you had a million different people working for you at J. Crew. What's it been like? Just the basics of being oh a startup founder. Like, how many people you, are on your team? You like, can't what's your imagine. day? Yes, I mean, please. literally, I just had a conversation about this the other night because I, I, you know, last night I literally fought with the printer for like four hours, like because like it was printing out of black and white for some reason, and I had to reload the paper ten times, and I don't know how to change it from black and white to color. It just will not change. I had to get my kid to come and help me, and he couldn't figure. You know, it's it's hard. It's um, at the same time, you know, I also have kind of loved being really close to the product and the process. The team is probably I think we're like nine people, um, you know, and we are. Everyone, every single person on the team is doing multiple jobs. There's no one person whose job is like solely X. We are absolutely cross-pollinating up. And like we're also making our own content sometimes. I mean, we literally, you know, we had a little photo shoot thing that we were doing the other day and we were using an iPhone and putting, you know, lashes on, you know, products and playing around and like we're making our own content because it's just what we have to do right now. And we don't want to spend a lot of money and also it's COVID. So we're trying to keep it really lo-fi and it's just a <laughs> totally different world. It's, it's hard, but it's also really refreshing and I'm learning. 
I, you know, at the end of my tenure at J. Crew, I don't know if I was really like learning anymore. You know, I was doing the same things. I was making the same decisions. I was, you know, having the same conversations with new people and reorienting them to all the things that I've known for years and years and years. And I was like, I didn't feel like I was moving forward. And that doesn't, it's not as motivating. And I think I got a little bit burnt out on that. And so this is like, I don't know, it's every day is new. Every day I'm learning. Every day I feel excited. And like at the end of the day, I don't have to ask anybody. I'm like, is this cool? Yeah, I like it. Okay, great. <laughs> it's, that's, that part is great. Do you feel confident in those decisions? Because I imagine. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, sometimes yes, but no, I mean, I think I, what I did learn in my previous life is that it's better to just, to, there's being paralyzed is actually, it's not good for the team. It's not. And honestly, like we're so, we're still small, you know, no decision that we make currently is going to make or break anything. It's all about learning. So like, just try, just go and do it and see what happens. And, you know, if it works great, if it doesn't, no harm, no foul, like just try. And I think making decisions and just moving forward, even, you know, I had to do that at my previous job because I had so many things that were coming my way and I got really used to being okay with making tons of decisions a day and knowing that probably out of the 50 decisions I made, three of them are going to (laughs) suck. That's okay. (laughs) You know, and giving yourself license to be like, Hey, I don't have to be perfect. I can, I can make 50 decisions in a day. And like, you know, granted, obviously at jQuery, I had to be very careful of which ones of those sucked and how much money was behind them. But, but, you know, I think that's, that's the power of, of having that experience and being able to then utilize that and move that. So it gives, I, I wouldn't say I'm confident to, to believe that my decisions are all right, but I'm confident that moving forward and going and just being open to that is the right decision. I think we've got it, Jenna. I mean, I can't really top, <laughs> ask another question to top that, but um, thank you so much for being here. It's so exciting thank to you. have you. And I know our listeners, were going to get a lot out of this. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. 